Tonight on the show, I am honored and privileged to be able to talk to one of the coolest drummers ever and a dear friend, ladies and gentlemen, Todd Lane. Hello, everybody. (laughs) Hello, Aaron. Hi, Todd. How are you doing today? I'm fine, darling. My, My football team won yesterday, so I'm happy. Ah, that's this will probably fun. air like way after that. So, anyways, <laughs> that's understandable. So, how did you get started? How did you get into the wonderful world of music? Basically, I was a kid growing up in the rock and roll capital of the world, Cleveland, Ohio. Make mm-hmm. no mistake about that. Yep. Uh, my father was into radio and television, and on the radio uh, station part of, part of things, he would bring home records every week, like boxes and boxes and boxes. Anyways, he brought home a box. I went through it and found a couple of records. One was Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive 2. And it, it, that kind of lit the match for me to like play drums and get into music. Um, it was it, it was amazing. And just all the other music that I you know, was turned on to as a kid growing up in Cleveland, Ohio. Nice. What made you get into drumming as opposed to like guitar work or vocals or anything like that? That's a very simple answer. It's (laughs) two words, Peter Chris. Actually, it's a name, but all right. (laughs) Yeah, it was Peter Chris, the drummer of Kiss that kind of, he was the guy behind it. Absolutely. Perfect. How old were you at the time that you discovered Kiss? 10. 10. Wow. Is that when you started drumming? Basically, yes. Fantastic. And did you start did you start bands locally in your area? Not right off the bat. Initially, we had some good friends when we were that age coming up, you know, that somebody played guitar and there were two brothers that I remember vividly, David and Mike Richmond. Mike was the guitar player. Dave was a drummer better than I am. And he still is to this day and a great guy. We still talk. We would jam like we would go to concerts together. We went to Kiss together in like 77. Anyway, so it wasn't really a band per se until a little bit later on, if that makes sense. Perfect. Okay. Did you did you guys play any like high school dances or Rex that, <laughs> <laughs> that inception we we would it would just be mike and i he'd be on guitar it was kind of like the white stripes actually and hey we were ahead of our time uh, <laughs> play people's parties back then and then eventually when the first band i, I got into and kind of formed was called haven Mm-hmm. And we were doing top 40 stuff and we were playing high school stuff, high school dances and things around the um, Shaker Heights, Ohio area, as it were, like ice skating rinks and pool by the pool, uh, you know, in the summer. And then we do like, you know, proms and 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 dances and all that kind of malarkey. That's amazing, though. That's like something you see out of a movie. Sure. And actually, I have video of that stuff. That, that I have yet to release, but I mean, we're talking, we're talking early eighties, you know, when I got a handle on the drumming thing and, you know, started taking it seriously. Although I took it seriously from day one. That is super awesome. Now, 
I heard from another interview that you became an ambassador for Pearl Drums. How did that come about? I did. Basically, when the band Haven finally had its final lineup, we moved out to Los Angeles in 1984 of September and shot a video for MTV. More on that later. Basically, I always wanted to play Pearl Drums because of Peter Chris. So we got the opportunity to go to the NAMM show in Anaheim, California, which is all the musical products, guitars, Ooh. bass, microphones, all that. Long story short, I just, you know, being the fearless T-Lane that I am, I just went up to the Pearl booth with the recording I had in my hand. We just finished an EP and I basically just said, look, I really want to play Pearl drums. This is the reason why they made me fill out a questionnaire. They said, come back the next day. And, you know, I, Haven was going to go tour Europe later that year. And they signed me and introduced me to my idol, Peter Chris, at the time. Amazing. That's yep. such an amazing story. So that's when you guys had actually moved out to Los Angeles. What was it like that first that first couple of years living out there, were you were you, were you dirt broke living on like the Sunset yes. Strip? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and to circle back to your question, it was mind numbing. I just remember getting <laughs> off the plane, um, and we piled into a couple of transports that our management had got us, and we had landed at LAX. And I think the whole band was sitting in the back of a pickup truck, driving up from LAX to Valencia, California, where we were going to shoot our video, turn it up. And it actually, it, that was the place where Quiet Riot shot mental health when they Ooh. did that in like 83. Yep. Okay. And we were awestruck, awestruck by it all. Amazing. So did you, did you guys get a record deal and they were like, come out to LA or was it like you guys moved out to LA and then they were like, here, we're going to give you a record deal. Great question. No, we did not get a record deal, but Atlantic Records, there was an A&R guy at Atlantic Records on the West Coast. His name is Keith Gowan. Keith, if you're out there and you ever hear this, thank you, because you're the big reason why all this, this train started rolling. Basically, he was in touch with our management and said, look, he would always ask for more demos, more demos. He heard the potential and he told our managers to look, if you move these guys out here, I think we have something, but they can't stay in Cleveland. And where would you rather be in LA or New York? And that was, you know, it took me one second to make that decision because love New York, great place, love to visit, don't want to live there. But when you can go to the beach, you know, on the weekends and I'm not going to dis disclose what kind of bathing suit I wore at the time, but <laughs> let's, let's just say it wasn't the Borat model. Although if they had it, I probably would have worn it. But we went to LA and it was because of Keith Cowan at Atlantic Records who believed in us and just kept us on track. You know, the details of what happened after that are, you know, it's probably boring to the people who are going to listen to this, but it was, we weren't signed, but we had a label interested in us when we came out there. Okay. And that was Atlantic Records? Correct. Got it. Awesome. And when you got out there, did you guys get to be friends with the people who were kind of hitting it, like Poison and Motley Crue and Cinderella? Or was it just sort of like so new to the Sunset Strip at the time? Well, that 
It's both. Basically, after we shot the video, we moved into a month-to-month apartment, a month-to-month month-to-month hotel on Santa Monica Boulevard. It was called the Tropicana Motel. Um, I, I, I think I was sitting out by the pool drinking beer. One of the first bands I met was actually Metallica because they were staying there. And I just remember meeting those guys and they were just passing through town. Um, and I just remember they're like, hey, you want another beer? And I was like, sure. And I had heard of them. I was like, wow, this is mentality. They opened their door to their hotel room and there were just piles and piles and piles of beer cans and booze bottles. <laughs> That's what I heard. And I was like, and you know, we, we partied pretty hard, but I was like, whoa, these dudes are into some heavy stuff here, man. <laughs> wow. They were cool. But then the next great story was um, same scenario because we were living there for at least a month or two. And these guys come in, they have long hair and they're like, you know, checking into their room and they said, Hey, do you play in a band? Yes. But Hey, where are you from? I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. We're from Pennsylvania. We're playing at the Troubadour tonight and, and we're having an after party here. And that band turned out to be poison. And those guys really helped Haven, the first band that I moved out to LA in a lot, a lot. Wow. So, Yes. I mean, Cinderella wasn't there. I mean, to answer your question, I mean, there were bands like Odin and Rockney. Oh, and oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 I mean, I could go yeah. on and on, but it was the Troubadour and Gina B, the woman that booked the club at the time, and she booked it forever. And she was the one who gave us a chance and believed in us. And the guys in Poison let us open for them a couple times because eventually we left the... Um, hotel and moved into an apartment thanks to them like right next to them our buildings were next to each other and you know the spaghetti fights were epic and those guys are good friends and you know we all grow up and move on but i still stay in touch with those guys and i was proud to see those guys you know ascend the ranks because breaking you know breaking and getting a record contract is it's it's hard it's really hard and then sustaining it as long as they have it's it's incredible like them and warrant but poison was the first band that helped haven big time helped me personally to love those guys wonderful and so the original lineup of haven did it stay the original did it stay the the regular lineup or did you guys lose some members in between that time uh, the the version that came out to la was you know sammy t uh bradar on vocals shout out sammy See, I got you on this one. Daryl Swan on lead guitar, David Ross on keyboards, on this guy, Don Mixon, that we all grew up with on bass, and myself on drums. Unfortunately, when we shot the video, that was the lineup that was in the video that was shot for MTV. Unfortunately, Don left the band, and we had to replace him with Dominic Dinacola, who's actually on the EP um, that we recorded after we shot the video. Hopefully that covers that. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So then once the video, did the video actually air on MTV? Yes. Okay. Is yes. That a and more so it, it, it got, because there was such a, you know, I mean, you know, you're just a baby, but you know, <laughs> during that time, you know, MTV was getting flooded with stuff. That was like the big, you know, 
it was still catching fire. Right. And, you know, we sent the video out to everybody, all like local stations and all that stuff. And then luckily for Haven, it got picked up with the equivalent of MTV in the UK, in Europe called Music Box. And there was a, a lovely dear friend and person that worked there that saw you know, the video was like, this stuff's really good. And I, I remember her name and she's still a friend today. Her name is Lee Edmeads and she was working at Music Box and worked with our management to get us over to Europe and play in 1986. So, yay. Wow. So did you do an actual European tour? We did. We did. We, we, we flew to Europe. They sent me over a couple months in advance, at least a month in advance to do some press. And then the guys came over, we rehearsed and we used London as our base because we were supposed to be over there for like three or four months, opening for people and doing shows on our own mm -hmm. all over the place. Best laid plans. Anyways, long story short, America bombed Libya and the State Department contacted our manager and all the bookers that had booked us and said, look, it's just not safe for an American band to be here right now. Wow. So you know, travel at your own risk. And, you know, that was pretty scary, but we did get to open for Paul Diano, mm -hmm. the original singer of Iron Maiden. Oh yeah. Um, my, my boyfriend yeah. is very familiar with him and he mentioned yeah, his, him the all band the time. Was called, <laughs> that's right. And his band at the time was called Battle Zone. And that was 1986. We opened for Heavy Petten, the band they were, you know, they were really big over there and we played the marquee with them, I think, and a couple other places, but Again, you know, things got shut down, but we had a good time and, you know, I could go on and on about that experience, but it was wonderful. I'd imagine it would probably be just a good experience in general as a band, just to be able to travel and experience what another country had to offer at the time. Absolutely. And, and, you know, because of Music Box and, um, you know, the people that were behind us supporting us over there, I mean, like Scott Gorham, the lead guitar player of Thin Lizzy, his sister was involved in like doing like publicity and stuff for us at the time. And there was a, a lovely woman named Annie Chalice who worked with Rod Stewart for a long time that was involved work, you know, vis-a-vis -vis our manager. So our manager was like, aside from us just, you know, getting, you know, we had to wake up, we had to do our jobs, but we had a really good management team and a manager that you know, made like serious, serious connections that helped us get us, you know, to meet those kind of people. And just unfortunate for us, you know, politics and, you know, you know, I, I don't want to say war, but stuff like that got in the way and, you know, pulled the rug out from under us. But we had a we had a blast and I will share this. So we we were based in like Piccadilly Circus. And I just remember, uh, you know, meeting a lot of crazy Italians in a good way <laughs> and just a lot of crazy people that were over there, you know, when we had like a flat and just, you know, experimenting. That's fine. That's fine. That's Anyways, I just remember walking around Piccadilly Circus and it looked like, you know, every science fiction movie combined in one in, you know, coming at you at a thousand miles an hour. Put it that way. Wow pretty amazing. Now, hey. <laughs> how did Haven become New Haven? Okay, when Haven broke up after the European thing, I went home to visit my father and, you know, get my head together 
And the manager of Haven said, look, get back out to uh, LA and I'll back you if you start a new band. So basically I worked for a telemarketing company that probably every rock and roller did when they were out in LA, just needed a job anyways. And I remember meeting the, the guy that was the bass player that actually would be the bass player in uh, the Black Crows initially, uh, ah. Chuck Brandt or whatever, Johnny Colt. That was his name when he got into that. Anyways, I met Kirk Samler, the singer, and I was like, this is this guy's great. And we went in and cut a demo of four songs, two of his, two of ours. And Daryl Swan, the lead guitar player of Haven, played on it. A guy named Mark Danzeisen played keyboards on it. And Mark Danzeisen was, you know, he played with Mark Tarine. He was the original drummer in Bullet Boys. Ooh, smooth up in ya. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Mark Mark D was there. So he played keyboards on it. And anyways, once, you know, once I found Kirk and then we found Mike, the keyboard player, and then I reached out to Danny Kane, who eventually afterwards, he was in a band called Legs Up. This is after New Haven. And he found Ross Manzo. Anyways, just to save time. And like, you know, I just said, guys, Haven had some momentum. Let's just call it New Haven. So that's how that happened. Nice. Okay. What year is this at this point? It, okay. Let's just for argument's sake, 19, late 86, 1987 was when New Haven was fully a band and started playing shows. And you guys were playing the Troubadour and the Roxy and basically, yes. The answer to that question is yes. It was basically the Troubadour at first because, as I said, Gina B gave us a start with Haven. And she was, her and our manager got along famously. You know, they were good friends aside from business. And Gina was there for us, you know, day in and day out. And, you know, gave us a lot of advice. And, you know, she put us through the ringer, though. I just remember when uh, we finally got New Haven together and Jennifer approached her. You know, and she was happy for us because Gina's like a, you know, you know, a sister, you know, uh, mm -hmm. I just I love Gina to death and Gina, I love you and you better listen to this. She was like, OK, you know, you guys did good. You guys opened for poison and you guys got on your own. But all right, let's see how good this New Haven is. She was like, how about a Sunday at seven o'clock? And we're like, OK, and we <laughs> did it. And she was like, all right, you guys did good. You guys drew over you know, a hundred, close to 200 people on a Sunday night at seven 30. Okay. She was like, how about a Thursday at eight 30? I was like, Oi. So we did that too. And then from then on, we were off to the races from 87 to shoot, uh, 91, but we Troubadour was our anchor, but then we branched out into the other clubs, Roxy, whiskey, Gazzari's country club, all that nonsense. Nice. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen, uh, just, video of Gazzari's on um in uh different documentaries and things like that so sure, i always wondered sure. you know if actual bands played them and i remember odin played Gazzari's, and that yes. was a huge thing so yes absolutely i saw them at the troubadour a bunch of times um <clears throat> and they were great you know and you know i was you know i was blown away i mean just being a kid from cleveland i was like wow these guys are really good and like you know um Keel was there when we first got there, Ron Keel and 
shout out to Dwayne Miller, the drummer. I got your drums, buddy. <laughs> I mean, uh, there were so many great bands. I mean, Striper was still coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a band called Renegade. You know, I mean, it was just a mind-numbing experience. <laughs> now, so at this time, are you guys able to move out of the Tropicana Motel until like, yes, yeah, yeah, we moved next door. <laughs> yes. And we moved next door to Poison on Orange Drive, right around the corner from the Chinese Theater, on okay. off of Hollywood Boulevard. Nice, nice. Now, how does a band get affiliated with a bikini movie? Okay, so New Haven at, had the run from eighty-seven to ninety-one, and it was a great run with all the guys. You know, and just to like side, we don't have to get into like personnel files, but you know, it was the singer Kirk Samler, it was Mike Drake, the keyboard player, it was Danny Kane on lead guitar, it was Ross Manzo on bass. Unfortunately, we had to make a change, and then we got Robbie Crane to play bass in 1988 alongside with Tim Kelly on guitar. Tim was in Slaughter, Robbie's played with Rat, Rat, and Vince Neal. Yep. And, uh, you know, we continued the momentum. Unfortunately, Tim left to join Slaughter. God rest his soul. Love him. We were happy. And, you know, he was great, very supportive. I mean, I could go on and on about Tim. And Robbie, to this day, is a good friend. He's playing with, like, uh, yeah, he's doing Warrant on the side and uh, Black Star Riders right now. Anyways, so when when we got Glenn D'Amico on bass and Steve McMaster's on guitar, in the beginning of 89, that's when Atlantic Records uh, saw us play, ironically enough, Atlantic Records again. And (laughs) um, they offered us a development deal and put us in the studio to record just the songs. And they didn't care because they paid for it and we were exclusive to them. So we couldn't shop it anywhere else. So we just went in with like a great producer um, named Dean, Dean Chamberlain, who actually was in the motels and I could tell you zillions of stories about him and a, a great engineer named Joe Seda, who worked with Katie Lang, Ricky Lee Jones, all kinds. Of, so we kind of went a different way. Anyways, we recorded the demos for Atlantic with Dean and Joe. They liked it. Somehow, some way, somebody from a production company came and saw New Haven, at, you know, out either at the Whiskey or Gazaris or the Roxy or the Troubadour. Don't know how it started. In 91, I get a phone call from said production company saying, hey, are you the drummer in New Haven? Yes. Hey, we're doing a bikini car wash movie. We want to use your songs. And I was like, okay. And we were done at that point. And they're like, hey, do you know any other bands that, you know, because we only had six songs recorded properly at the time mm-hmm. um, as New Haven. So I I was very good buddies with Adam Shore, who was the lead singer of Warrant in the beginning, and he was in a band called Shake City. And so we got everything done for the first bikini movie, and that's how that happened. So in 92, they decide they're going to make a sequel to Bikini Car Wash Company, and you get the call again. Correct. Basically what they said was phone rings again. And cause I, you know, I like we did it and like people would come up to me and say, Hey, is that your music in bikini Wash company? I'm like, yep. Um, and I, you know, I thought it was great. And the guys in new Haven thought it was great. And obviously the shake city boys were like, this is really cool. Anyways, 
I get the call and they're like, hey, we're doing the sequel. We love the stuff. It went well. Um, we want to have you be a part of the sequel. And I, all right. So, but, you know, times are changing, but we still love that music. And we're not going to put grunge in a bikini movie. I've heard that before, you know, where people are like, how did, how did these bands get in these movies when, you know, grunge was all over the place because grunge doesn't fit in a bikini car wash movie. Can you imagine hearing, I don't even want to hum it because I'll no. sound like an idiot. Yeah. You know, you're on a beach and girls are running around, you know, and one piece, two piece, you know, and people are just having fun in the sun. I mean, it just didn't work. So that's why our music's in those movies, kids. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> I know you do. I totally understand that. So then you guys got into, so when you're getting into the second movie, they, they're telling you like, okay, we need all new songs. Cause you can't obviously Correct. reuse the new Haven stuff. So Correct. they said, exactly. They said, look, Todd, we need you to put together something different. Can you do it? And at, you know, at the time I'm on the phone and I just was like, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was like, sure. I can do it. And I just reached out to, uh, cause Steve Giles, uh, the bass player that was like the last bass player in new Haven towards the end knew the singer, Rick Martin, um, who knew the guitar player, Tracy Swider. So I just sat down with those guys and I liked them all and we jammed and this sounds good. And I said, guys, um, we let's do, can we write, 11 songs for bikini car wash too. And they were, you know, they were like, hell yeah. So, and Rick and Tracy wrote the songs and it worked out great, you know, for bikini too. It was like a different sound. It was more, you know, it was obviously a lot different than new him, but they used um, rocking chair at the end credits of bikini too. They said that was a stipulation, by the way, they said, we'll give this to you, but, we get to use rocking chair at the end. I was like, what am I going to say? No. Yeah. If, if you must. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you know, I felt bad that I couldn't work with Mike and Kirk and Steve and Glenn or whoever to like do that soundtrack, but it, you know, things were heading in a different direction and, and we loved it. And the funny thing is, is that they wanted, um, we were pretty much done. We only had like 10 days to record all that music for bikini Two. And they were like, hey, we need a song that, you know, echoes the movie sentiment. And I was like, what do you mean? Like a bikini car wash right. song? Right, like a like, song yeah. with the words bikini car wash bikini in it. Exactly. And I was like, holy Toledo, what am I going to do?
All right, we are back. And now we're going to talk about what it was like to make Bikini Car Wash Company 2. So Todd, so they call you and they tell you, all right, we need a whole new slew of songs. How did you guys come up with the new band name and what the sound was going to be like? Okay. I, you know, the, Steve Giles, bass player, was the last bass player in New Haven. And we, we were pals and we were sad to see that New Haven go because of grunge. But he knew a singer named Rick Martin from Arkansas or Arkansas, as I like to say. <laughs> and Rick knew this guitar genius, Tracy Swider, and met with those guys and we jammed. And I really liked all those guys. And I, you know, and I said, look, we have an opportunity to do the sequel to Bikini Car Wash. We guys, you know, we got to do 11 songs. And they're like, sure. And I really like those guys. I, I felt bad for the New Haven guys. But again, it just wouldn't have worked, you know, with the way music was changing. So they just said, we need more, just like, I don't know. It's hard to say. Just like more like rocky, country, folky type. I don't know. It, mm -hmm. it, it was just, it, it just New Haven could not do, you know, the second one. So we just sat down and Rick and Tracy had songs and me and Steve just looked at each other like deers and headlights and said, okay, you know, and we did it and it sounded great. And like I said, if, uh, you know, we, we needed a song to be the title of the movie in bikini and, you know, Rick Martin, God love him. He was busy working on a case, a case of scotch. And we had to get Paul Calder to sing it, who actually produced and did a lot of other stuff on the record for us. So, okay. Yeah. That's fabulous. Now, the songwriting process, did you just said that Tracy Swider had some songs and the other guys had some songs. Did they just bring those in and you guys kind of reworked them? Or Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, 100% correct. Very good, Aaron. All right, That's so, exactly what happened. Because there's 11 different songs. And I have to say, they are very, very different from the first Bikini Car Wash Company soundtrack. Having listened to both soundtracks, well, pretty much it hasn't left my CD player in three, four weeks, six weeks, something like that. So having listened to them, I can kind of compare lyrically, vocally, range-wise, everything. And the 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 part two there is definitely a different variety music wise like i feel like there were so many different styles on the second one i mean there really is like sort of a blues rock there's kind of a sleaze rock element too there's right. a down home rock element there's a southern rock element to it you've got two wonderful ballads and so, so it, it really, it, the fact that that album was not released independently, um, as just a really kick-ass album, you know, is such a crime, but I also right. understand that at that time period, it was just illegal to hear that kind of music. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good, that's a, that's great, Aaron. That, that's per, that's per, that's right on target because the New Haven stuff was like, you know, came in after the fact of Bikini One, and we had a little more time and had a little more understanding. 
And with luck and just the brilliance of both Rick Martin and Tracy Swider, you know, they had songs and they worked together and to like contort them to Bikini 2 because we knew, you know, how they used the New Haven and Shake City stuff in Bikini 1 as vignettes, as music behind what was going on in the scene. And so we kind of had a heads up. And when I working with Rick and Tracy and Steve, I said, look, this is what's going to be happening. It was like a little MTV videos, you know, with yes. um, beefcake and cheesecake. Right. Yeah. And that's Keep pretty much, rated. yeah, that's right. pretty much what I told Gary Arona was I said, I said, it is, it is both movies are a series of music videos loosely tied together with a plot. You know, did he but, agree with your assessment? Did he oh, agree absolutely. With yeah, because he said that that was his plan anyway, was that when he was making part one with Ed Hansen, you know, he said to Ed Hansen, he said, listen, like, I know we've got this sort of empty space in these in this movie where nothing's happening. Well, why don't we just film the girls dancing, yep. you know, washing cars, you know, yes. whatever. Um, and then we'll set it to music. And I'll make like little mini music videos. That's exactly what he did. And Gary did a great job. And, you know, I got to be honest with you. My my recollection of that was they like they didn't have our music yet. Um, they shot the song, the, the, the sequencing of the scenes without the New Haven or Shake City stuff. So that was Gary's brilliance mm -hmm. that he was able to like pick the song that went here for, let's say, Naraya uh, or uh, Christy or Suzanne, you know? And right. he t and the shakes, he, he matched that stuff up perfectly in the first, in the first film. Absolutely. And I feel like in the second one, you know, there are times when you hear certain songs off the soundtrack and you kind of go, oh yeah, I remember exactly what scene that is. But then right. there are other songs on that soundtrack that stand completely alone on their own. And that even if they weren't included in a bikini movie, they would still be absolutely phenomenal songs. And once again, a crime that they weren't released or that they didn't get radio play or that they, whatever. I mean, it's just because they're all such really wonderful songs in their own right. You know, appreciate that. Appreciate that. I know the guys do and shout out to all of them again, because I'm going to make them listen to this. <laughs> but I th I know for a fact that, um, you know, a lot more organizational things were going on with the sequel. So they had like a rough mix to for Gary to have when he shot the sequences of the vignettes in Bikini Car Wash 2, meaning okay. that like the mixes weren't done, but we had handed them 11 songs on time at the deadline and, you know, it worked. And I just remember Rick Martin, the singer and I going down to the set and they were, I think they were film, they were getting ready to film a sequence with one of the girls and the producers introduced us to, you know, everybody that was on set. Hey, these are the, that's the singer and that's the drummer that, did all this music and you know everybody's like gave us like a standing ovation more or less you know and they're like this stuff is good and to to circle back to what you just said you know it it was just timing you know we were very proud of like the songs that we came up with for that but it's just at that time in 92 
93, you know, it was just all grunge all the time, but you know, the, the music, the lyrics and, you know, the guitar playing and the bass play, I mean, that stuff is just insane. You know, I was just trying to keep up. <laughs> it really, it really is. I mean, you've got like a song like Loaded Gun, which is, yep. it, it's funny because you could play Loaded Gun on an episode of Yellowstone, you know, and you it's totally, you it totally fits, you, you know. Bet. Um, and then you've got an amazing ballad like Lay Your Hands on Me, which is probably, uh -oh. I'll be honest with you, my favorite ballad of the year. Yay! Yeah. Hey, Rick Martin, see that, Rick? See that? All right. Yeah, I think Sorry, I that played was... that. I think I played that more than any song on there next to um, When Love Is Not Enough, which is such a great, it's such a great rocking, like, yep. get your shit together kind of move. Kind of exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. But, I mean, see, you get it, you know? Mm -hmm. you oh, yeah, it. absolutely. But one one track really stands out as being kind of kind of out of place with the movie, but also so beautiful and wonderful on its own. And that is um, Tell Me Forever. And right. Well, so where did that ahead. come from? Because that is not in tune with the Bikini Car Wash Company lyrically anyway because it's basically a man talking about his unborn child and wife exactly i mean you're right you're 100 percent right on that okay so basically i think we were at 10 songs mm -hmm. um that we had and you know we needed a certain amount of time and a certain amount of songs to you know satisfy the producers on you know to the per the agreement and we were out of time and stuff like that. And I remember succinctly that Rick Martin, I was like, I don't care if it's, if you play in a banjo or spoons on your knee, somebody give me something because I was the conduit between the producers and the band, you mm -hmm. know? So, and I, and I told the producers, I said, look, we don't have time to like go back in the studio and have all of us play on it together. Right. Will you accept an acoustic song? So that's, you know, oh. that's how that happened. And we just needed a song. And, you know, I got to be honest with you, that song like resonated for like a lot of people, like when they heard it, when the movie came out, because I've been tracking this stuff on YouTube sporadically over the last, what, 30 years. And everybody's, you know, and we'll get to why we finally released all this stuff now, but you know, the feedback on that song and the way that Rick, you know, plays and sings on it is just, it's, it's, it makes you take a breath and think, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in my, in my opinion, but you're right. I mean, it had nothing to do with anything that was going on with the oh, fun and the sun. No, no. The thing about that is though, like not to be like misunderstood on that, but that song is amazing. It just should not be played during one of the most uncomfortable sex scenes. I think I've ever had to watch. Right. I haven't seen the movie in a while. So okay, I'll take got it. Yeah. Cause that sex scene, <laughs> the word phoning it in doesn't even begin to describe that love scene. Um, right. I mean, it, it is. Who was in the love scene? Come on. Come it's on. Christy Ducati and Greg Ray. It's their final, okay. like, actual, like, oh, I guess okay. we're going to get together and have sex scene, you know? Right. Um, and well, we didn't, we didn't, uh, look, most people didn't listen to the lyrics, but you did because you, you know. Yeah. I'm... You're very, you're very, uh, <laughs> like, uh, God, what's the word? I don't know. You're very intense, but 
People were looking at the girls. They didn't give up flying rats rear. Like, but what the hell is going on? That being said, even so, even in the unrated edition of that love scene, there is yes. nothing going on. <laughs> like, it, is, it is a dude in his boxers and a girl in, you know, lingerie sort of having sex maybe simulated sex yeah i know yeah um well i don't don't have an answer for you you know (laughs) well i mean it's like if you compare it to the 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 sex scene with christy ducati and joe dusick in the first one like the the final you know like we're gonna have sex finally um i mean that scene goes on for you know you could go and like cook a pasta and come back i mean it's a long i'm sure you probably did i know i did absolutely i was like uh but what's it, but it has part of me in it, which is such an amazing song yes. that it's worth watching for that very reason. It's like the right. reason I got into these movies was the music. Like the reason yep. that I came back to these movies was the music, was the soundtrack. So, wow. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I am not the target demographic <laughs> for these films, <laughs> but, but the music kept me coming back. And I think it's a testament to how, amazing lyrically musically the arrangements of it everything the the vocals uh is is to how it it kept people coming back because i'm not the only person who was like oh i really wish we had this soundtrack you know um i knew i knew other people who used to comment on youtube videos and stuff like when is this going to get released and when are we going to do this so Right. So that's a great that leads us into um how did all of this finally come full circle 30 something years later? Um I will answer that question. Are you sh- sure you don't want to discuss why the producers put us at the end of the movie at the car <gasps> Oh my goodness, I almost forgot you guys have a cameo. How did that come about? And uh, not only how did that come about, but was it was it a fun scene to shoot? Was it cold? Because I know it was like... Oh, it was awful. It was just awful. <laughs> I mean, the working conditions were just terrible. <laughs> I should have called the labor board or, you know, and, the, you know, the California labor board because the working conditions were just... Oh, it brings back bad memories. Tears. <laughs> Tears. It does. Tears to my eyes. So basically what happened was they, the producers were very happy with everything that we turned in, you know, songs one through 10, 11 and 12. And they said, Hey, we have, you know, we want you guys to be in the movie. I'm like, we can't act, but you know, all right. They're like, no, we don't need you to act. We need you to play. All right, what are we going to be doing? You're going to be playing at the car wash at the end of the movie, and the girls are going to be washing cars in various stages of dress or undress. And I looked at the guys and I said, guys, do you guys really want to do this? Because, you know, you know, I got a ham based thing at home. I got a turkey in the oven. I, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, obviously we said yes. And I have to like, I, can, I vividly remember the day when we showed up and um i remember calling my the drum company pearl drums i was like hey um i need a you know i don't need a kit but this is what we're doing and they were you know they're like if you don't send us a copy of like the dailies of what's going down on that set todd we're gonna drop you 
I'm not going to say who said it. And I just remember, and, and they're like, I was like, look, if you guys can fly out from Nashville, come out on the set, you know? And wow. I remember the guy at the symbol company, because I had to get like dummy symbols that don't make any noise. Right. And I was like, bud, you know, his name is Rich Mangicaro. God love you, Rich. Um, I was like, bud, if you could be on the set, this is uh, out of all my illustrious career on Sunset Strip, this is the place you want to be. Screw all that other shit. And um, he couldn't make it, but, you know, it was like a day to remember. And I just remember, and I have to say this, that there was like a really cool production assistant on, on the set. His name is David Bales, and I love you, David. And he made everything like really cool and the producers and everybody was great but i just remember when they said you know uh, action you know and we were running through the song it was you know it was great and i just remember when gary god love him he was like okay girls next next one we're gonna go with the tops off and all of we didn't know this as a band we didn't know <laughs> we just went take after take because they were doing close up and side shot and all that and when that happened you know, we had to do that a few times with them. And I just remember going over to David and saying, hey, can you get him to do a couple more takes? Because I was dropping drumsticks left and right. You can yep. see it. Oh, yeah. Closely, they were flying out of my hand like like I had like grease in my hands because I couldn't keep a straight face. And, you know, we're all looking at each other going, what the? expletive is going on here and they're like i was like shut up and 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 look like you're playing idiot you know so there you have it and what i've always wondered this because there are people who mispronounce the name of the band all the time so it's like people yes are like, it's azro and then they're feeling like, no it's azro and i question i'm i would assume it's azro because there are periods after each one of the letters Correct. Um, but let's, let's clear you... that up right now because you had asked me prior like how we came up with the name of the band okay so um we it was just a soundtrack band that had to be put together to do the sound to do the soundtrack for bikini two and me being me, I was like, I don't give a flying rat's rear what we call it, but we need to come up with something. And we tried to name it. Some band had it copywritten. So we're, I was like, look, who gives a turkey? You know, let's just, and Tracy, God love him. He was like, look, I was in a band in Salt Lake City called A-Z-R-O. Let's just use that. I was like, fine, let's just do it. And, you know, the because people are like, Azro, what is that, like a vacuum cleaner? I was like, no, who who cares? I it mean, sounds it's like, just, it sounds like a, a mythological creature that comes from Dungeons and Dragons. It actually means something. And if you look at the CD, Aaron, it says like, you know, it explains it in the in the and I'm, you know, like Tracy explained what it means, like something, something rock and roll extraordinary. No, it's. I mean, I'd have to open up a CD, but in the EZRO CD, it's explained on the liner notes. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I don't want to waste your time, but yeah, it's in there. But And you know yeah. what? Hey, it'll be what next? It'll be 2023 when... Hi, everybody. It's 2023. Guess what? That's right. EZRO may be playing another show in Arkansas, so take Ooh. that. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. You better be there. Of All course right. I'll be there. I'm already saving my money. Um, so, Yay. so, so 30 something years later, yep. like how, how did this happen? 
Yeah, and uh, I know that this is to I know this is credit to to you. So how how did you make this happen? Basically, um, at the beginning of 2022, I got contacted by a dear friend and a great journalist, Jerry Gettleson, who wrote for Rock City News and all this kind of stuff. And he was a good friend and, you know, big champion of New Haven. And he was like, Todd, it's time to release the New Haven stuff officially. It's time. What are you doing? And I was like, well, again, I got a ham basting turkey in the oven. I was like, man, <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyways, so we paired up with FNA Records because I was pushed by many, many, many labels to do this, to do this. And I was, I had a lot of other things going on in my life, which just took precedence. Anyways, we did the New Haven stuff that came out in May. And that's, you know, it's phew, 13 songs. I mean, 24 page booklet. It's pretty awesome as you might attest to my dear. Absolutely. Um, and And then at the same, (laughs) yay, that's right. That's right. That's right. So, um, Tracy was in talks with another label in Salt Lake city, Utah called metallic blue. And they said, they were like, we've been wanting to, you know, they were like you and many others. They were like, Hey, the AZRO stuff was incredible. Can we release it? And nice. that started that and the, the project after that called DFM, which we'll get into, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely get into DFM. Let's go back in the Wayback Machine. So how sure. did DFM come, come, to, come to play? Okay, so I'm sitting around a pool, you know, not collecting 20% yet. You know, probably <laughs> had like, you know, a, a drink with a, umbrella in it no i didn't drink that stuff we just drank out of the bottle i don't know um the phone rings and it's the production company and said all right todd you ready i was like ready for what they're like for your proctology appointment what i was like huh anyways i know you're not laughing anyways they said we need we have another we have a karate movie action flick that we need you to do your thing and put together another band and Unfortunately, you know, now we're into like 93, right? So this the grunge stuff is really, 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 really heavy. Oh, yeah. And we love Ricky Boy, uh, Rick Martin. I call mm-hmm. him Ricky Boy because mm-hmm. I love you, Ricky Boy. Um, and I said, okay, I'll figure it out. So I reached out to Tracy first, the guitar player extraordinaire, songwriter extraordinaire. And I was like, Tracy, get ready. And we got to do heavier stuff. And I was like, I don't know the singer. Because Rick, unfortunately, just didn't. Same thing with New Haven going into Bikini 2. It just didn't work. So I, I Tracy and I had a bond and trusted him a thousand percent. And he said, I know the guy. And I called Steve Giles, the bass player from New Haven and AZRO. He was unavailable. I got my good friend Adam Shore, who was the singer of Shake City, to play uh-huh. bass. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. And so uh, basically Tracy had most of the songs done, and he brought in the amazing, the incomparable Dana Freebaron, who had a voice like, phew, I mean, I can't even say. I mean, once I heard this, I mean, because I barely met him. You know, but we, again, we had a deadline. We had a little more time and a lot more money to do the soundtrack for Showdown. 
And that's how that worked. And I just, you know, it, it just, it worked out for the best. And the kicker is we want to, you know, the production company said, okay, we'll give you this. We'll give you the money that you're asking for, but we want to use draw the line from New Haven in like one of the sequences of the, you know, Billy Blanks, like preparing for a fight. And what that's was exciting. my answer? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly what, how that's that great. worked out. That's a great preparing song. Like that, that's 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 a great cleaning song. That's you a great bet. organizing song. <laughs> like, there you go. See, we helped you out. See, added value. And yes. if you look at some of these, because again, you know, when I saw this stuff tracking on YouTube, um, you know, I was I was blown away. I was humbled. I was appreciative. But like people said under the comments when people posted. Uh, draw the line on YouTube moons ago, they said the exact same thing you said. Cleaning song, you know, cleaning my toilet. Yeah. You know, fixing plumbing problems. Motivational I mean, was... song. Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth. Like it's I I I actually introduced a friend of mine in LA to to the new to to New Haven and AZRO. And um I sent him like I made a mix in Spotify and I sent it to him and he was like, Oh my God. He's like, I've used this for my workout now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, man. Right. Oh my goodness. So, so now, now everything's being released on yep. metallic, on metallic blue and FNA FNA. Right. Yep. So anyone can go out there and a whole new generation can find this music. Finally. Yes. Finally. Yes. Absolutely. And you guys have thought about or talked about possibly doing a tour um, or at least a show. We're going to do some shows. Some shows. I mean, we're trying. I mean, I'm trying my best. I mean, you know, you know, with family and life changes, you know, yep. we're trying to do it. Um, I'll say this. I mean, this will probably come out you know, this is out in 2023. We're going to try to do a New Haven show sometime this year in 2023 in Los Angeles. Because I was informed that some of the guys in New Haven don't like to be on cruise ships. They get seasick. I mean, what the? Anyways. Um, so that's that. And that, that'd be fun um, to get together with the New Haven guys. And we're going to try to include everybody that was in New Haven if they can make it. Um, and then we did a show in Little Rock with AZRO with Paul on guitar, Paul Calder, the guy that produced and sang on Bikini mm -hmm. in October. And that was a blast. Um, and I did go to Utah and play with Tracy and Dana um, and Dana Freebaron. We love you. Uh, and we're supposed to do that again but this time with all with with steve giles tracy swider dana freebaron and the idiot that you're talking to now <laughs> probably in the fall of 2023 so that's the current stuff that we have going as far as live all right so social Yay. media presence like do you is is there a way people can find you if they want to uh either interview you for their podcast or just talk to you personally sure um basically uh facebook is probably the best way because personally i'm not on instagram or tiktok and i know the other guys aren't but facebook would be the best and we have separate pages and then we'll just go over them new haven rock band 
is New Haven, right? And then we got AZRO and it's capital AZRO. There's no da uh, uh, periods in between the letters because somebody else has it. And then there's just DFM or you can just go to Todd Lane and you know on Facebook or you can just hit up your humble host to find me <laughs> she'll point you in the right direction we welcome everything because we appreciate all the people that have refound all this music from New Haven to AZRO to DFM and you know on behalf of all the guys and all the bands we thank you because this has been a whirlwind for me personally and like meeting you through this and the way you found us, Aaron, it's, it's just, it's awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, this has just been such a pleasure and I look forward to traveling to Arkansas so that I can see you guys in concert live. You will. You will. All right. Thank you everybody around the world, you know, whoever listens to this when it airs, so we really appreciate you guys and Aaron, we appreciate you. Shout out to Dean. Shout out to Michelle at American Noise. Shout out to Tammy D. Tammy. I love Yay. Tammy so much. I love her. She's um, great. You know, all the guys and all the bands. I mean, I love I love you guys all. Without them, I'd be, you know, nothing. I mean, look, I was just the drummer behind this nonsense, you know, and, you know, I got lucky, you know, meeting all these guys on my journey, all of them. You know, I could roll the credits, but I'm not going to waste your time. But <laughs> They know who they are and we love you and I can't wait, you know, to see everybody, you know, live at some point. So thank you very much, Aaron, for doing this and all the bikini car wash, one and two heads. You know, it was a lot of fun. PM if you want to know some extra dirt because my lawyer won't <laughs> let me speak freely on it. So there you have it, kids. Thank you, Todd. Have a great day. You too. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Talk soon. Thank uh you. -huh.